0: The scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, beginning at verse 12. Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, When you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you in return, and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. When one of the dinner guests heard Jesus' remarks, he said to Jesus, Happier are those who will feast in God's kingdom. Jesus replied, a certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. When it was time for the dinner to begin, he sent his servant to tell the invited guest, come, the dinner is now ready. One by one, they began to make excuses. The first one told him, I bought a farm and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I bought five teams of oxen and I'm going to check on them. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. When he returned, the servant reported these excuses to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the city streets, the busy ones and the side streets, and bring the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. The servant said, Master, your instructions have been followed, and there is still room. The master said to the servant, go to the highways, the back alleys, and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you may know, today is a special day in the church called World Communion Sunday, This holiday is not a Methodist day. It was actually started by a Presbyterian minister, but it transcends any denominational divides and encourages people from across the Christian faith and across the globe to set aside this day to gather around the sacrament of Holy Communion. Now, it was 1933 when Dr. Hugh Thompson Kerr first had the idea to celebrate this day in his Presbyterian church in Pennsylvania. You see, he was looking at the world around him, and he saw a lot of unease, a lot of unsettled people. He saw the world around him fracturing, and he thought, this is a space where Christians can step up. This is a space where the church can have a witness by setting aside all of our differences, especially around communion. Did you know this? Christians believe a lot of different ways around communion. Some will say you have to meet certain membership requirements to receive. Some will say when you receive, it has to be a wafer and wine. Some will say you can dip it in the cup. Some say anyone can come. Some say you could come if you've been baptized. There are lots of different ways that Christians celebrate communion. But Dr. Kerr said, what if for one day we set aside all of that? We don't worry about the particulars of how you practice communion, but we just say today. Whoever you are, wherever you are, we gather at the table to be a witness of unity in the world. And so he did. He did this for a number of years and invited other Presbyterians to do it, but it took a little bit of time for it to gain steam. It wasn't until 1940 when the group that would become the National Council of Churches, an ecumenical body, decided to ask all Christians across America and across the world to join in this day together. And do you know what finally prompted them, seven years later, to get this going? The Second World War. They looked at the news. They knew people in their community who were at war, who were fighting. They saw the hardship and they said, you know what, I think he's on something. Here, in this place, Christians need to stand as a symbol of unity. We need to practice for the world, putting aside our differences and focusing on what we have in common, which is the grace of of Jesus Christ you know in that era there was a lot of scarcity and fear and anxiety but we've come a long way since 1933 right we have the internet you could conference call someone halfway around the world right now you could video call them and see them they could share in this service with us if we wanted them to something has taken place that we call globalization which means that we're as close as we could ever be to people in all parts of the world And yet on this World Communion Sunday, I'm keenly aware that that sense of scarcity and anxiety, fracturing of people who have different beliefs, live in different cultures, is still very much present among us. As much as we've grown closer as a world, in some ways we haven't come all that far. So how wonderful then that we continue this practice of coming to the table over and over again to practice what we truly believe as Christians, which is that Jesus is the center of our faith, and everything else we can work out. In today's scripture from Luke, we find Jesus at a dinner party, and I think not only is this great for World Communion Sunday because we're talking about a meal we will share together, But this is a great passage because shared meals, they say, are places where we can all connect regardless of our circumstances. In fact, the author Brene Brown, who's one of my favorites, she says that the one place where humans can connect despite any differences are places of great joy and places of great sorrow. Somehow communion encapsulates both of those as we remember the death of Christ but also the resurrection. As we come to the table and confess our shortcomings, but rejoice in God's mercy. Communion is that place where our common humanity somehow is at the forefront as we kneel before Christ and say that we believe. I also think as a Southerner that meals just have a way of drawing people together too. I think I'd add that to Brene Brown's list. There's sorrow and joy and a potluck. Right? Right? Haven't you ever seen Jesus gathering around those tables full of casserole dishes and crock pots, and there's a little bit of everything from every person, right? And we're all there to enjoy one another and the meal together, and we tell stories, and we laugh together, and we fellowship together, because meals do that for us. They bring us together together around a common table. And that's where we find Jesus in this scripture passage. Just a few verses before where we began reading today, it says that Jesus is at a dinner party. He is at a dinner party hosted, get this, not by just a Pharisee, who you know Jesus and the Pharisees not always working out really well. This is the leader of the Pharisees whose home Jesus finds himself at. And as they sit down for dinner, a person comes into Jesus' midst on the Sabbath who is in need of healing. And Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath. Kind of a risky move. Not only is that breaking the law, it's breaking the law in front of a group of people who really like the law. It's breaking the law in front of a group of people who really like the law with the leader of those people present. So you can see how this meal didn't really get off to a great start. Well, then Jesus sits down as all of the guests are taking their seats. And at that time, there was an order to seating. I think probably at some very formal occasions. I imagine if you ever dine with the queen, there's probably an order to seating. But there was an order to seating. And if you were the honored guest, you would sit in a certain place. And if you were kind of further down the line, you'd sit in another place. Well, Jesus is watching all of these guests gather and go to their seats. And he sees that they're jockeying for that best seat. And he says to them, I don't think I'd do that. Because what if you sit in the seat of honor and it's not for you, and you have to be asked to move down the table? You would be better off to put yourself in the lowest seat and be invited to move up. Basically, save yourself the embarrassment. Go ahead and be humble and see where you land. Well, you can imagine that the feeling in that room at that table with Jesus was probably not super favorable. Not only had Jesus broken the rules, he had called out everyone at the entire dinner table. He had made everyone feel pretty uncomfortable. And then, because he's Jesus, he just keeps going, and he gives them his version of table etiquette. Now, the great thing about food is that every human being has to have it to live, right? And every culture has some kind of practice around shared eating. Emily Post calls it etiquette, and she has a whole list of things one should and shouldn't do when we eat a meal together. It's simple things, like it's not great to talk with your mouth open and full of food because you might choke or you might spit food on someone else, but if you ask Emily Post or people who work for her institute now what the reason is that we observe all of these etiquette rules... It's not just the practical reasons, but she says it's so that when you eat together, everyone at the table feels comfortable, because you all know the rules, and you're all abiding by the same set of rules. So the guest and the host know their place. There's no awkward moment of silence at the table where no one knows what they should be doing. But you know what I find is with all good things, sometimes a good thing taken too far is not helpful anymore. I was looking to try to see what the rules of etiquette were, and I learned a couple things. One is when I went on Emily Post's website, her basic table setting is way nicer than anything I've ever put in front of my family. <laughs> I think there are at least like five utensils just for the basic table setting in like two or three cups. That would be a disaster at my house. They're lucky to get a paper towel with a fork on top of it. The other thing I learned is that there are some etiquette rules that even I didn't know, and I'm all for polite dining, but I think there are some things that are above and beyond. For example, one of the things it says is that if you are at a formal dining situation, you're at a very fancy restaurant, did you know you're never supposed to lift the menu off the table? I don't think I've ever not lifted a menu off a table. Or how about this one? If you're in a dining situation and you have a glass, and uh, for those of us who wear lipstick, this will be familiar, when you take your first sip, you know that the lipstick kind of remains on the rim of the glass. But even if you don't wear lipstick, the rule is that you should always return your lips to the same spot the entire meal. So none of that staining the full rim of the coffee cup with your lipstick, same place the entire meal. Did you know it's not polite to clink glasses when you cheers? Or to say bon appetit, I don't I don't know why. <laughs> you're supposed to keep the rim of your plate clean. This one I can get behind because that's so that whoever has to pick up your finished plate doesn't stick their finger in whatever you've left there. So I, I can understand that one. Or what about this? If you have food left on your plate, you should slide it to the upper left-hand quadrant of your plate. I never heard that. I knew there's some way you're supposed to put your fork and knife on the plate to indicate you're done, but I didn't know you had to place your food in a certain space. And then get this. This one I don't understand as someone who really loves food. You should always leave one bite on your plate. Apparently that indicates to the host that the food was delicious, but I guess that you're not greedy. I I don't know. I don't understand this. But as I read through this list, I was keenly aware that these rules that were put in place to make us more comfortable dining can sometimes get to a point where we're not comfortable at all. If I had to remember all of that anytime I sat down at a meal, let alone enforce it on my own children, I would be a nervous wreck. I would enjoy no part of the dinner because I would just be so sure that I would mess it up and be thought to be a very unpolite, rude guest. And I think that's what's happening in this story with Jesus. He's sitting there looking at all of these rules and everything taking place at this dinner party, and he's like, I think we're missing the point. I think we're missing the point. There's so many rules in place for people to get to the table that the table's no longer a welcoming space. And so Jesus says to them, I know that you've been taught. If you take a lot of time and you make a nice meal and you put out the silver and you have the cloth napkins, you're supposed to invite your family. Your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your mother, your sister, your brother. You're supposed to invite your really good friends. I love that the scripture says, and your rich neighbors. He said, but that's not how dinner parties should be thrown. When you put out a really nice dinner, you know who you should be inviting to the table? The blind, the lame, the crippled. I would paraphrase it to say, the least, the last, and the lost. Someone hearing this says, man, that sounds a lot like God's kingdom, which Jesus can never resist throwing in a parable about the kingdom of God. So Jesus responds with a story. He said there was a rich man and he was having a party and he spent all this money getting everything ready. He had all the fancy stuff out. He had gone to his butcher and bought fillets and lobster tails because he's fancy like that. And he was ready for the very finest group of guests to come. But when dinner was prepared and on the table, he sent his servant out to call everyone in. Hey, y'all, it's supper time. And one by one, they all had an excuse. They all had something better to do. Can you imagine that? Gone through all the trouble to host people, and it's time for them to show up, and they're like, eh, gotta wash my hair. And so Jesus says, not Jesus, excuse me, the master says, Jesus tells us the master says, go out into the streets and find whoever you can find and bring them to the table. And so he does, and I love this. He does this, and it says that the servant came back and says, Master, your instructions have been followed and there is still room. I did exactly what you told me. I gathered up everyone I could, and there's still room, and the master says, go out and get more. And so he does. He does. And the story ends on kind of an uncomfortable note because it tells us that the original people who were invited, who had other things to do, they'll never taste that feast. Now, if this is a story about the kingdom of God, that kind of rubs a little, doesn't it? The invitation has been set out, people have chosen not to come, so they'll never taste the feast. You know, when I look at this scripture and when I think about days like World Communion Sunday, sometimes... I'm tempted to put on my rose-colored glasses. Sometimes I read the first part of this story and I think, I could do that. I'll invite people to my party. I like to serve the poor. I've been to Trinity Soup Kitchen downtown. Like, what's so hard about this, Jesus? Of course. You've told us to take care of the least, the last, and the lost. I'm there. But then when I kind of step into the scripture, do you know what I mean? Not just hear it, but like, what if I was sitting there at that table? Man, this is a hard story. I mean, truly, truly, who among us, if we were preparing to open our house for our closest circle of friends, would feel really good if we opened the door and instead of having the people who we love and who we know and who we can't, just can't wait to see standing in front of us, we open the door and we find folks from a tent community by, by the interstate or that person who asks us for money in the public's parking lot. Or the person who holds the sign every day as we wait to make that one left-hand turn. Yes, it sounds nice, and we know we're supposed to feed them, but if they showed up at your house to eat your steak and your lobster tails, like that, I'm just going to be honest, that sounds hard to me. That sounds hard to me because it's not what we're taught to do. It's not how we're taught meals function. Yet Jesus says that in God's kingdom... In the gospel feast, this is exactly how it goes. It may be that in the world there are some dinner invites that are hard to come by, but if the invitation comes from Jesus Christ, it's big and it's wide, and the table is crowded with all kinds of people. It means that at that crowded table there may be people who look like us and people who look nothing like us. There may be people who agree with us and people who disagree with us. And not only that, but as crowded as that table can get, there will always be room to bring in more people. And if we want to sit at that table, we have to become comfortable with that. And that's hard. In Asheville, North Carolina, every Wednesday, a group of people gather at a church called the Haywood Street Congregation. It's a missional church of the Methodists there in North Carolina. And every Wednesday, they have four seatings of a meal. And at this lunch meal, there are cloth, tablecloths, cloth napkins, flowers, silverware. Local chefs from the Asheville area, and if you've ever been to Asheville, you know there's some good food in Asheville, bring the food in every week. And people gather around the table and are served a family-style meal. Sounds nice, Right? This meal is so nice that people line up to receive it. There are people at the table in the best-looking suits and Cole Haan shoes and folks that are wearing shoes that have holes and shirts they've been wearing for a week. You see, when Haywood Street was discerning where God was calling them in Asheville, they decided to go and spend time with people who were without a home. They went out on the streets and they started to ask questions and listen to stories. And they saw that there was a need for food. People needed to be fed. All people need to be fed. But they also were very clear that one thing they didn't want was to just be another soup kitchen. Not that there's anything wrong with a soup kitchen. Please don't hear me say that. That does good work in a community. But for them, relationship was primary. So they knew that if someone just came through a line and got a a heaping of soup or sandwiches on a plate and went to a table and didn't have any conversation with anyone, that wasn't going to be living into the vision God was putting before them. And so they said, how can we truly share a table together? So at Haywood Street, here's how they do it. If you want to volunteer, and they need volunteers, to serve lunch, to be one of the people who brings the lunch to the table, you have to first be at the table. In other words, if I called them today and said, I will be there on Wednesday and I would like to serve, they would tell me, no, thank you. They would say, until you come and sit at the table, until you are served and listen to stories and participate in the fellowship, you cannot be a servant because part of their model is to take people who love to serve and let them be served and to take people who've always been served and to allow them to serve. And so every Wednesday, if you go into the Haywood Street Congregation, there are business people who have been waiting for the opportunity to be at this lunch, sitting next to people who have just come off a night on the street. And they sit at the table, and they listen, and they share stories, and they realize that even though things about their lives are very different, they can find some common ground sitting around that table and sharing a meal. To me, that's the kind of feast Jesus is talking about, in this scripture today. The kind of feast where people gather around a table who look very different, who come from very different backgrounds, but who show up just as they are and share a meal. You notice at the end of this story, there is a part that I think often gets left off. Often on World Communion Sunday, we will say, The invitation to the table is wide, and everyone around the world, regardless of their culture or their language, or I love that Crystal showed us the types of bread they partake in, regardless of anything that could be different, the welcome is wide. But there's a second part to this story, and I think this is the part that's always harder for me to swallow. The invitation to the gospel feast is very wide. But in order to partake in the feast, we have to be humble enough to accept the invitation. You see, when I read this story, sometimes I wonder if I'm not the person with a million excuses to not show up because I don't like how the party's being thrown, because I don't want to sit by this person or that person. Sometimes it's because I don't think I'm worthy to be there in the first place. But Jesus said, if this is representative of God's table, if this gospel feast is indicative of the God that we worship, then the table is crowded and everyone belongs. And to pull up at the table, sometimes we have to let go of ourselves a little bit. You see, if you think of this in terms of the full scope of this scripture where Jesus had told people to quit jockeying for a seat, a big part of this scripture is about our own humility. When we come to a feast, not only is the welcome wide, but sometimes we have to check our own expectations and be willing to give ourselves over to God's invitation to enter the kingdom. This is really hard work. It's really good work, and it's why I think that across the world and across denominations, we come back every first Sunday in October to gather around the table, and we make a point of saying we're here with everyone else, and we know that we disagree on a lot of stuff, but that's minor compared to our belief and Jesus Christ, the one who set this table, the one whose grace is poured out for all of us. And it's okay for us to say that we stand in need of that grace. You know, there's a secular song that has recently come out by um, a group of women who includes one of my favorite artists, Brandi Carlile. The group is called The High Women. And uh, the song is called Crowded Table. And The High Women is like what they call a supergroup so it is uh, country Americana artists who have come together who are big in their own right. So you have Brandi Carlisle, Maren Morris, um, Natalie Hemby, and Amanda Shires. And they came together to put this album out. And one of the songs in the album, the first time I listened to it, it was like a punch in the gut. Because, you know, you're listening to songs. I mean, there's a song in there about uh, heaven is a honky-tonk. Okay, so like just... To, <laughs> My name can't be Mama today. I mean, there's lots of funny songs on there. And then you get to Crowded Table, and you're like, I did not see that coming from this album that was put out just to a secular audience. But I think it drives home the exact point that we hear in Luke's Gospel today. So it says, I want a house with a crowded table and a place by the fire for everyone. Let us take on the world while we're young and able And bring us back together when the day is done. And the final verse says this, The door is always open. Your picture's on my wall. Everyone's a little broken, and everyone belongs. Yeah, everyone belongs. Man, I could see God speaking those words. God's house is a house with a crowded table and a place by the fire for everyone. A place to come back when all our work in the world is done. A place where everyone's a little broken, but everyone belongs. Because God's table is a crowded table. As we prepare our hearts to gather around this communion table, I want us to go to God in prayer. Let us pray. inviting God, welcoming God, merciful and gracious God, prepare our hearts for this gospel feast that you have set before us. As we come to this table, help us release any insecurities we have, any rigid rules that we're clinging to, anything in our lives that stands between us and your grace. God, remind us that this is your table, a crowded table, a place where everyone is a little broken, but where everyone belongs. God, in this time, if we are seeking your welcome, help us feel that. If we are needing to let go, if we are needing to overcome, if we are needing to hear you in a new way, Be present with us in this holy mystery. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.